Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, my name's Lisa and I'm from Newcastle and you're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, do you say breakfast, lunch or dinner or is it breakfast, dinner, tea? Okay, here comes the show and remember, question everything. Hello everybody and welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian, writer and occasional actor Dane Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer. Hello! And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked and we are talking everything from... We are talking everything from Lisa from Newcastle's question. Do you say breakfast, lunch and dinner or do you say breakfast, dinner, tea? Now, Dane, the fact that uh, Lisa is from Newcastle may offer an insight into this question, I think. Absolutely, yeah. I'm very much aware of the northern and southern divide. Um, so I would say, having spent time in both regions of the country, mm. I say both. But to be honest, like, really, I'm looking, there's, there's only three options here, and that's not enough meals for me. So <laughs> I do say break, lunch, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I say breakfast, dinner, and tea. But where's the Levensies? Where's brunch? Yeah, I need that brunch. Where's yeah. early supper? Yeah. Where's late lunch? Yeah. And uh, where's petit déjeuner? And also, uh, just tea for me means a cup of tea. It never really means a meal. I think is the 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 the, the divide de- uh, geographically. Uh, you could probably put a line across the country of where people think tea means dinner, and that's fine. You yeah. be your you be your thing, guys. Um. So passive aggressive, Howard. So <laughs> passive aggressive. I love if that's that. what you want to do with your tea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, suffice to say, Lisa, uh, we ask and answer all the questions on this podcast, don't we, Dane? Absolutely. And uh, no question is too big, too small, too highbrow, too lowbrow, and uh, too serious or too silly. So therefore, if you enjoy the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Or subscribe to us on ACAST, the world's biggest podcast network where you can hear from all of our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show, our guest is an author, journalist and TV presenter. She started blogging in 2016 to tell her own motherhood story to show that young black families weren't just surviving, but thriving. She is also the founder of Make Motherhood Diverse, an online initiative that challenges the story of motherhood. And she also has a regular star segment on ITV's Lorraine, is a contributing editor to Grazia, and regularly appears on national radio and television news channels. Her debut book, I Am Not Your Baby Mother, has also made the Sunday Times bestseller list. If you don't know, better get to know. Please welcome all-round supermother, Candice Braithwaite. Hi, thanks for having me, guys. Hi. Thank Welcome. you for coming. Thank you for coming. Okay. What's happening? What's happening? What is happening? Um, you know, we were just talking about before we hit record. I just feel a bit spun out at the moment. My whole house, barring me, came down with chicken pox in the last three weeks. And then my son had to go hospital. And then, like, the day he gets admitted, 
my husband gets sick. And so it's been me at hospital for the entire week, 24 hours. Like I had two, two brethren coming down to relieve me to have a cigarette and a fry in the car park. Mm. But it was just me and my son the whole time. And I didn't realize, um, I just took good health for granted. Like we all do absolutely, until everyone gets taken down a peg or two. Um, and I didn't realize how um, all consuming, now this is going to sound crazy, I didn't realize how all-consuming motherhood could be. Interesting. Because I had my kids with the idea that I said to my other half, yeah, I'll have kids with you, but I'm not like a mummy mum. <laughs> yeah. I'm not really, I'm not gonna make I'm not gonna make healthy lunch. I'm probably not always gonna be there for bedtime because I believe my strengths are more suited to the working world. So we can do this, but you're probably going to have to fall in line with the tasks that are more defined as feminine. And having him like taken out of the picture, I was like, right, you can really be a mummy mum. You know, I'm there trying to console my kid because he was too dehydrated to get um, an IV in him. So they had to inject his antibiotics directly into his muscles every day. Man, oh, God. Listen, so it's, it's crazy. You know, it's that. And then it's like making sure my seven-year-old can get to school. Cool. It's making sure someone can pick up a prescription for my husband. It was intense. I was like, right, I prefer work. <laughs> I <don't know." laughs> People are like, I need to leave work for maternity leave. And Candice is like... Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> but the thing is, tell me, have you got like a little slight altered perspective on what your bloke does around the house? Is he like, are you got, you know, is his efforts been, <gasps> is it, is it, is, have his efforts been reevaluated uh, in his absence? Definitely, definitely. Even though he is what society calls the man, he's definitely better at the parenting role, like looking after the diary, being in the parents' WhatsApp chat, because it was mad. Now, I needed a parent to help me get my daughter from school, but I don't chat to them. Mm. And it felt really mad to be like, oh, hi, I know I see you when I don't see you, but now could you do me a favour? Hey, random stranger, (laughs) can you look after my child, please? You know what I mean? So... Uh, it's definitely uh, made me respect, this is crazy to say, respect his role more. Mm. And it's crazy to say that because as a woman, I should understand what that means because we've been fighting for generations to have um, the idea of the housewife uplifted and respected. So why is it taking this moment for me to be like, right, I couldn't do what I do without him playing house, to be fair. I would look at the paradigm of your family structure and feel that your partner has assumed like feminine roles. I think mm. I think a part of uh, any kind of partnership, particularly parental one, is that there is this delegation of tasks and stuff anyway. And um, I can tell you for free, I would much rather have to bring kids to school and organise packed lunch than have to sit with my child after having an injection into their muscles and mm. kind of be like, you know, because the first person the child's looking to when they're experiencing pain they can't control is mummy. Mm. So you That's have to true. kind of rationalise that and process it and, and be a nurturing thing because... Like, I'm sure you're kind of like, when when someone comes up to your child with a needle, you're already like, see, I know you've got to put this thing in the air, but just let's keep it subdermal, innit? <laughs> well, I don't a capillary to get bruised, because then you're going to have to get bruised, my G. And I've got, like, MRS, MRS is going to feel like a holiday if you trouble my child, boy. So, yeah. <laughs> it's a very good observation. I, 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 <laughs> I can tell you now, having had this bloke living here for the last 11 months, there's a lot of admin that comes with kids. And uh, 
I mean, if you if you saw my, I, I might live stream it on Instagram if people want my period from six p.m. when I kind of finish my working day to about seven thirty when he's asleep, and I help my wife if she's been looking after the kid. Uh, that hour and a half, I am a, a, a just a, a whirlwind of like dishwashers, washing machines, tidying, uh, bath time, daddy, clothes. A daddy died. A daddy dynamo, if you will. <laughs> Milk. <laughs> the, the dinner goes on. It's all happening, Dane. The tidying, you know, like, phew, honestly. You know, you know what the funniest thing is, Howard? You're saying this now, and there are mothers listening to this podcast throughout the world going, <laughs> so? <laughs> so? I'm just, I'm just saying wait, wait, it's, wait, you know. You want a cookie? Go get a rusk. And get another rusk. And get two rusks, Howard. Well, you know, you know what, Dane? On that, on that note, it's probably time for a question before I dig myself in any further holes with the female population. Yeah, Looking look, look out for you, Howard. No, it's, it's true, man. Thanks, mate. No, work. you're right. Yeah, it, it's true. Just checking um, the formula on, on your wrist there. <laughs> but yes, it's probably time for a question as the format of this show dictates. Right, Dane? Absolutely. And this is our esteemed guest and uh, holder of the primary womb. We invite you to ask the first question. Uh, any question you would like, which we'd like to discuss for 15 minutes and some change. Uh, Howard will then ask a question, which we will all discuss for 15 minutes and some change. And Latherin's repeat, I will do the same. And then you go uh, back to your journey of becoming uh, world's best mother. And um, <laughs> yeah, with, with, uh, with, with our metaphysical support. And, uh, and also we can let our listeners know about all of your good works about, uh, regarding maternity, family and otherwise. How does that sound? Thank you. Yeah, wicked, wicked, wicked. Yeah, cool. The floor is yours, madam. Um, my question is, you can tell I don't get out much. How is everyone really feeling about the guilty verdict with George Floyd? Ooh. Like I see a lot of, I know, right? I see a lot of, um, I see a lot of, oh my God, you know, maybe times are changing, like a very positive attitude. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm still quite pessimistic because it's like, in my opinion, that was like a slither of justice. Mm. Um, and there are still so many cases that don't get that verdict or don't get rounded off in that manner. Yeah. So, like, how's everyone feeling? And I'm going to chuck one thing in at the top here, and, and before Dane, Dane jumps on this, is, is just to say that I think a very awkward element of all of this has been the fact that Joe Biden is now the president, not Donald Trump. Now, that has created a easier narrative for people to follow than the, you know, deranged ranting and tweeting of the former president. And um, I that's my just one take as someone who, you know, obviously... Uh, you know, uh, 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 I, I'm, you know, uh, uh, a Jewish but white guy uh, from England. So my link to George Floyd is is limited. But I just can't help but think that the, the prism with which we're viewing it is now the prism of a Joe Biden presidency. And that, I don't know, It may, in some ways, what do you think, Dane? It kind of makes it more complicated because it was so easy just to hate the system in America when it was under Trump. And this guy, you know, is trying to do some good. But at the same time, it doesn't mean he's solving it, right? Yeah, I mean, I I would say the way I feel is, uh, I'd say is it, there's still a level of emotional fatigue, I'd say. Like, um, there's a somewhat of a slight exhalation uh, because I was holding my breath for, based on the eventuality that despite the obvious, clear, conspicuous, digitally recorded evidence that, uh, that, that uh, Derek Chauvin would have gone off on a technicality because there was some allusions to the fact that Maxine Waters, who's been a long-standing uh, congresswoman, had said, if this verdict goes the other way, then, you know, people in Minnesota should take action. And she was publicly condemned for that, despite the fact that the leader of the free world prior to Joe Biden 
called for an insurrection of the capital in January. So for me, I was quite worried that people were, I mean, first of all, I would say it's a very, it's a, yeah, but it's, it's a very detrimental feeling to suppose that because a congresswoman said something in a place like America, that could affect a trial and the carriage of actual justice. Um, and that people gave that narrative any validity, that if it'd gone another way, they'd been like, well, if Maxine hadn't said anything, maybe we'd have a better chance. Why we need to depend on the uh, ramblings or the, uh, an outburst from a black woman who has seen, you know, all of the horrors of America's white supremacy from all three branches of government has an emotional outburst because she's obviously, you know, as fatigued with white supremacy as any quintessential African-American her age would be while they would try and scapegoat her if it didn't go that, that way. Um, also, like, the fact that there were three other officers who watched Derek Chauvin commit an act of murder who have not been tried or convicted for their joint enterprise uh, as witnesses to uh, second-degree manslaughter and third-degree murder. So that's that was another issue I had with it as well. So far as the uh, appointment of Joe Biden as the president, to be quite honest with you, I am not really contextualizing uh, America's current social state or collective consciousness along bipartisan lines. I think Donald Trump proved that the system is broken and then his ascendancy to the presidency proves to me that America's system is broken beyond repair. Hmm. I think um, bipartisan politics as they currently exist in the West uh, have no longer have any efficacy whatsoever. We see that both here and abroad. And so for me, the kind of feeling I have, there is a, like I said, there's a real feeling of emotional fatigue because even over the course of the trial, we saw another, we saw a 13-year-old Latin child, um, Adam Toledo, be murdered in Chicago and body cam showed that he had his hands up. We had uh, Makaya being killed, who was in foster care, who was shot within 20 seconds of police arriving at the scene because she had a knife. And then we've seen, you know, conflicting video evidence of a white woman carrying a knife being detained and apprehended by police officers without a shot being fired or even a taser being used. We've had another black man, um, Dwayne, I forget his surname now. He was Don't killed. Don't right. Dante Wright, was, Dante Wright was also killed as well. Yes, so Adam Toledo, you know, Dante Wright, who was killed by an officer who's been on the force for a quarter century, who was not able to make a distinction between a taser and a gun. And even police officers have come out to show video evidence that these two instruments could never possibly be confused. And so for me, like, I, like I said, I'm at the point of like this emotional fatigue. There's, all, there's almost an, a, a nihilistic numbness to it in that I'm like, these people are so beyond help spiritually and psychologically. We just have to sit back and watch this uh, modern day empire begin to crumble. For me, this is not an isolated incident. This is all ongoing, a part of a larger thing. So the only thing, the only, for me, the reason why George, the, the conviction of Derek Chauvin is just a political one because you're dealing with an incident which was able to make national and global news and took place in the midst of a pandemic plus a national insurrection by domestic terrorists plus the changing of the presidency. Hmm. This, But really, this whole issue of state-sponsored genocide and this refusal for America to acknowledge the fact that many years ago, a policeman, I believe called Eric Dorner, a black police officer, went on a rampage with a manifesto where he detailed the fact that white supremacists had fully infiltrated American law enforcement because people seem to forget they're shooting up synagogues as well. 
Yeah, mm. they're doing that too. So that and that doesn't even address like the issue of you know Asian American violence yeah. and Latin violence. Yeah. It's not a problem that can. It's not a problem that's going to be remedied by discourse. It's not a problem that's going to be remedied by any change in the figurehead of bipartisan politics in America. This is a cancer. Mm. Yeah, mm. it is a cancer. It is beyond repair. I don't. I do not even want to get into discourse with anybody that tries to legitimize or give credence to or platform to any narrative that pertains to white supremacy. There is no biological, social, or historic basis for this idea. In a world now where it's accepted, we have the optimal level of awareness of humanity from a scientific perspective. By that token, as a ideology, this could no longer exist with anybody who has any rudimental understanding of science. So the fact, the fact that we're still entertaining this means, yeah, that you're looking at a country of sociopaths. And it's that simple. Because what people don't understand is, yeah, people have been lynching and killing people up until 2018 when lynching became a federal crime, which means that that has been seen as normalized and legal in American society since the beginning. They have watched people murder innocent people who are still walking around free today. And that is just, again, just one example of the litany of atrocities committed against human beings in America. I say that to say this. However people feel about that, that means that people in America for generations have normalized violence against other human beings. That means you will say to your husband, what did you do today? We hung an innocent human person from a tree and castrated them. Now I've come home for my tea. Yeah? If I came home to your house, Howard, and you was like, what did you do on the way here, Dane? And I said, I got a stray dog and I stamped on his head on the curb till it bled to death. You wouldn't want me around your child. Yeah? Mm. But in America... They have been doing that for years. However we regard it in the world now, you are dealing with a population of people who have normalized murder for years. For years. How anyone feels, if, I run, if I'm on a date with a girl and we're sitting at dinner and a man walked past and I stabbed him in the throat and came back and sat down to dinner, the date would end there. <laughs> but what you have in America is this ongoing propaganda whereby even when they show, you know, it's even funny, I was thinking the other day, you know, they show pictures of like Martin Luther King giving an address in black and white. It's fucking 1966. Yeah. When 1966, it's like Austin Powers and miniskirts mm. and, and fucking Twiggy. Yeah. And it's in full color. This propaganda by America by trying to show sepia tone flashbacks and black and white and gray scale pictures to make us presume as if this is, these are old pictures. My parents were 17 when he was mm. murdered. That is how close we are to state sponsored genocide by people in this country. Mm. And so when people ask me how I feel, I feel the same. You are looking at arguably one of the worst civilizations that have ever lived on this planet. Why I hear you ask, there is no other country in the world where there is more than one denomination for satanic churches on earth. None. It's the only place on earth where you have more than one recognized satanic faith. And that's fine. But for people who say, God bless America, I find it strange that you have gone past, you've gone past Satanist who in your Bible is enemy number one. That's the primary antagonist of the fucking Bible. You've gone past Satan for gays, Mexicans, blacks, women, the trans community, but you're fine with literal demons walking around with you every day. And this is what I'm saying about America when you talk about stuff like this. Even when we refer to the, the trial of George Floyd, no, the trial is for a fucking murderer who it turns out already has prior cases of murder. I'm saying again, how anyone, when you have this fourth wave feminism, are talking about when 30% of the 
of the fucking people that are supposed to be keeping you safe hit their wives. And 55% of white American women are still voting for Donald Trump. Mm. So how I feel, Candice, is the same. They are done. <laughs> I mean, of all, of, of all of these episodes we've done, Dane, that was the uh, the full flavorist answer. I think, and Candice, I hope that answered your question. It really did. It really did. And um, I want to give uh, you, you, before we move on to the next question, give you the ch- a chance to obviously share a little bit of your thoughts on, on it. Because, um, I mean, I'm sure Dane's covered a fair few of the things that you were... Uh, uh, oh no, Dane covered everything and it's just, I, I've personally just got to a point where you're just waiting to replace the name in the hashtag Well, I, I think this subject had to be talked about on this podcast I'm delighted that someone brought it to us, Candice because uh, <laughs> uh, we, we, we can't force them well, I mean, I, sometimes I force them to come on the show these these issues, but it's nice to have been uh, invited and to hear like Dane says just a just a tiny bit of a, of a bigger snowflake, eh? Howard, yeah, just fucking remember, yeah. Obviously, we're friends, <laughs> and you have a lot more decorum about discussing these things than I do. They was walking through the fucking streets saying Jews will not of replace course. us in America. That fucking mm. happened in America, mm. yeah. To walk mm. around in Charlottesville, and they still managed to kill a fucking white woman, yeah. And then the remaining fifty-five percent still voted for a man who said there are bad people on both sides, referring to Nazis. That mm. is where we are, yeah. Mm. That's how I feel. This is the end of the old world, yeah? The new world is coming. There, the there is a new world coming. So people will work out where they are. So this is what I say when people are like, well, you know, you have to look at it. They had people walking down the fucking street mm. saying the Jews will not replace us. In the, the 21st century, yeah? That's where we are. So that's how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Candice, have you got any unconventional mothering tips that... Um... <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> obviously we don't know where the show's going to go, and I, I line up my question next, and it's like, uh, you know, it's not it's not an easy segue. Uh, I'm trying to work it out. Um, <laughs> but um, do I have any unconventional mothering? To- I because do. you are famous for your mothering uh, advice. I don't think we need to give a little bit of context to why I was going to ask this question, which is purely because obviously you're not just a random thing to a mother. Your your, your whole presence in the in in media has, has become this kind of uh, incredible. Uh, kind of mothering presence which is absolutely absurd to me because I never <laughs> wanted to I'm really vocal about that um, I had a, a massive role in raising my younger siblings so when I did get freedom I was like I'm not going back to that I, you know I missed out on like after school clubs and all of that trying to help raise my siblings I don't want to be a mum and here I am and it seems like my entire career is like the roots of it is motherhood. So that blows my mind. Um, But unconventional tips, it sounds mad, but don't be there too much. He wasn't a mother, but my dad, before he died, was like, uh, when I was in my teens, he was like, when I die, your world can't stop spinning. And I was like, you know, you take that on as a kid. And I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he did die. And it took me like a decade to work out raw. Myself and my children are separate entities. Nothing grinds my gears more than especially mothers who are like, oh, my kids are my world. You are setting yourself and your kid up for fucking failure. (laughs) It's like, it's the worst thing you can do because I don't want it to be, God forbid, something happens to my kids and they go before me and then I can't 
I can't live a life. My world stopped turning because we've intertwined these planets so much. Mm. You know, it's not Earth and Mars. We were together. And it's, it's the same on the flip side. I tell my eldest, she's almost eight all the time. I'm like, you know, when my time comes, babes, remember your world has to keep spinning. So everything I do, like I love them, I'm there for them, but I don't overdo it. Mm. If I see my son fall over, my motherly instinct is to go straight to him and scoop him up. I let him ramble for a while. <laughs> I let him cry and stumble and because I'm like, that's life. And even if I'm not going to be dead, I ain't always going to be there. Yeah, it's, it's, so I need to get used to like mothering yourself, pulling yourself up. And if I can then come in and, and help teach you a lesson and clean you up, I will do so. But I'm not like, I'm just not, my advice is just don't be overbearing. Your mm. kids have to find their own way in this space. Because the, um, the, the thing that happens, right, is because obviously I've got this 11 month old bloke that lives here now. And, and he, <laughs> you know, he um, you know, he obviously doesn't know anything. Uh, he's he's mm. absolutely full. I mean, he's not a fool, but he just doesn't know anything. And uh, yeah, as all babies uh, <laughs> don't know anything. <laughs> it's not just him. I'm not even a go at you, Dylan. <laughs> I, I love that. I love. I love Dylan's like blah 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 blah. How is that idiot? <laughs> <laughs> but it's man, like man went there for 2002 season for Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like right, no. the, some of it. You're like, okay, well, you're going to have to work this out yourself. So, like, if I, you know. Um, for example, eating dirt. Like, I don't mind you getting covered in the dirt, but if you're going to keep eating this dirt, then I'm going to have to just let you learn that that dirt does not taste good. The more annoying one is my cat's food, which he obviously got a little... <laughs> and I'm talking the dry stuff, not the meaty grossness. And he got a little... Jelly. He got, yeah, not the jelly. He got a little like nugget, got a little kind of... And he obviously ate one at one point, and he's decided that every morning... He wants to scuttle along to get, oh, no. and Tara has to run, and my wife has to run after to stop him eating the cat food. And it's like, well, that's one way I probably should stop him eating the cat food. Whereas if he was yeah. eating the dirt, I probably would just let him eat the dirt. Or falling over is the best example, like you say. Like I don't know, do your parents letting them cry? That's a that's that's a kind of interesting one, isn't it? I don't know. Do you know what though? The, the cry it out method, in my opinion, is really cultural. I am uh, the, the cry it out method worked in my household. I don't push it on anyone else. Mm. My other half is a strict, staunch Nigerian, and so like the night my son came from the night my son came home, my son went in his own room. Hmm. Not 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 like separate cot room. My my husband was like, "That's your space." And we would, he would never let him sleep during the day. When he tried to nap during the day, he'd be like, wake up, wake up, and take him to the window like Lion King and be like, that's the sun. You need to be up now. Wow. And I tell you what, at six, week, at six weeks old, we had a baby that slept 12 hours a night. Hmm. So it works for us. And, you know, don't let them cry out to the point of vomiting. But also it's like, to some extent, these babies, in my opinion, can self-soothe. But the, you know, when you start chatting these things in the parenting world, everyone gets on their high well, horse the, about stuff. And the problem is that, like, I'll give you a good example of what you're talking about is, is you know, so you put, I, you know, he, he I, I'm, I'm not going to suggest that your, 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 your husband's not right about the nap thing. We put ours down for naps, you know, works for us. Everyone does their own thing. But the, when we put him down for a nap at the moment, like, I've, he's got to a point, right, where no matter what state he's in, at some point, 
he's going to fall asleep. I don't need to keep going in, tucking him in, all that shit. And it's got to a point now where there'll be times where he gets in the cot and you can see he's like, fuck this, I'm really not up for sleeping. And he bangs his head against the end of the... So you just hear next door, you just hear this banging. Of it, and after the, the banging stops pretty quickly because he realises... That fucking hurts, man. What am I banging my head against this cop for? And it's like, that's, that's, the, that's not a perfect embodiment of what we're talking about, right? Which is like, he learns not to bang his head against stuff. <laughs> In yeah. there stopping him every time. Do you know what I mean? This is it. So, yeah, it's just like, again, it's, it's they're hard. They're just rules that I don't really get too public about because ev- this world, like, it, like our souls, just full of opinions, dripping in opinions. Mm. And I'm just like, dude, you you have to do what is instinctively best for your kids. Mm. And I'm not in your house, so I can't tell you that. So I would never want anyone being like, oh, Candice mm. is the motherhood guru. Like I always say, I don't even want to do this. Instinct's so a big part. So don't take my advice. Yeah. Yeah. Instinct's a big part. Yeah. Dane, did you, your parents, parent on instinct? You were twins, right? Uh, I'm a twin. Um, we were second time round. So um, I guess they were a little bit more experienced. Um, but I, I mean, it's obvious, but like I said, like Candy said, I, I think every single story is nuanced. And it's a really strange thing that human beings are so vocal about asserting our individuality and yet don't understand that they're, the rearing of a human being or the nurturing of a human being itself has to be very bespoke. Um, mm. I don't have kids, so I, I I wouldn't presume to know everything. But I am a person, so it's kind of like you would do what you would want to do to take care of a person you care about. I'd let, um, I'd let you look after my kid, Dane. I, I I'd happily drop him over for a while. You'd have. A- I'd be good, man, because I, I I panic. I, I panic too much. I, I'm very good with kids. Super overbearing. But um, I mean, my I, my story was quite unique. My mother um a lot, a lot of uh, birthing complications. So my mom lost like three pints of blood, and then I was in hospital for like three months after I was born. I, you said um, I was on an incubator because I had jaundice. So I was very weak as a child as well. And my mother was so weak from the um, severe hemorrhaging that I probably didn't see her for about three days. Um, some people say that there is, there's been an effect on that. There's, that's affected me somewhat. Um, but it's probably because I had to learn to self-soothe. So mm. much so that like, you know, it's led to me being very individualistic at this age now where I can be very independent and uh, very autonomous in how I conduct myself because, you know, I guess I came to rationalization when I was born. You kind of are by yourself here. Um, but it's never had any, any damaging effect with my parents and stuff. My dad was uh, act, very active at the time and was looking after my sister because my mum was literally too weak to do so at the time. Hmm. Um, so I guess I had to learn early, yeah, that you know there had to be a certain level of autonomy within my life. My mum said to deal with health complications, following her pregnancy, how it affected her back and the such since. So in my personal sense, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I just try not to be as reliant on her as a mother as most people would. My mum's not, and she has her mental health, her men, uh, sorry, her health issues now, which are like uh, autoimmune and motor neuron issues she has now, aren't things we had throughout my childhood and through the earlier parts of my adulthood. So, you know, my mum was always a very capable person. But I just think, I think I learned, and again, I think there's a lot of cultural as- uh, aspects to it as well, is that learning independence as well as discipline were um, some of the more early lessons. But I'd say, yeah, my parents, they were just, I was, yeah, they were, my mum wasn't unconventional. I think she did all the all the normal mum stuff. And then my dad taught me how to ride a bike and hmm. all the other stuff. So uh, It's such a strange thing, convention yeah. as well, isn't it? Because, like, it changes. That's the problem, right? So, like, um, and, and I must stress, if you're listening to this and you're a parent and you're thinking I would criticise your parenting moves, I give zero shits about what you're doing with your kid. <laughs> like, it's nothing to do with me. Like, unless your kid come and comes and attacks my kid because of some way that you're raising it. I have no reason to criticize you. But like, 
you know, my wife said quite early on, listen, we're going to try and not give him sugar and salt for the first couple of years of his life because it can help with uh, being um, a bit more balanced in the way he approaches his diet. And he's kind of, she reads a lot of stuff and she's a very intelligent woman, my wife, as Dave knows. And, uh, and I was like... Uh, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. I won't put loads of salt and sugar into his diet. Doesn't mean there's like at Easter he had a bit of chocolate, and obviously then he mm. wanted all the chocolate. But you know, that's that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. That's like fine. a fiend with their like a fiend with their first pipe. But obviously. I kind of like yeah, I wouldn't never <laughs> I wouldn't never look down on someone who is feeding their kid sugar and salt because it's up to them to deal with their kid as best they can. Or they're kind of you know I was thinking about the whole. Um, the fact that, you know, he's been locked, he's in lockdown, right? The kid was in lockdown for basically his whole life. The last two months or so, or a month or so, he's really managed to get out. He's fucking, he's so sociable, right? Like, if you kind of, it's ridiculous how sociable he is. And I kind of don't want to ever say to him, like, yeah, you might want to just, like, not climb over these other kids. Like, are you going to do what you want? Do what you need to do, Dylan. Like, just get, get, get stuck in, mate. And, you know, people get, I think people are worried about what other people think a lot of the time, hey? Like, Social media's done that to us. Probably, social media must be the worst. I've never been on any parenting threads for <laughs> on social media, but they oh, must God. be mental. Well, the problem is any any ideology and any kind of any whether it's like you know parenthood or femininity, as they're contextualized through social media, it, like you can, it's because there is always the opportunity to monetize an mm. ideology. You're always going to get varied perspectives or perspectives that are a function of marketing rather than like you know education. So someone will be like, I'm a mummy and this is what I do as a mummy. And it just seems to that particular group or that socioeconomic group, that seems palatable to them. And so they go ahead with it where it's like, you know, not not everyone has access to low sodium or low sugar food. This is it. Yeah, this is it. This is what, yeah. this is what, some, some people have had years of transgenerational, a transgenerational, uh, you know, awareness or trauma where they feel this is a natural thing you give to children. Because there are some people who would argue, you know, why you should don't give a kid sugar, but at the same time, it's like I know a lot of kids who like I guess didn't grow up with sugar. They have their first cu- cup of coke, and it's like you giving them coke. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, I'm, I'm aware. I'm aware of the backfiring that's going to happen at some point. At you know, some, I'm going to get a call from a, two, from, from, from a parent who who's got Dylan over with them, and he's like, "Yeah, your kid's just gone insane because we gave him like a fucking Haribo." Um, but you know, we'll, we'll deal with it. But the, the, I mean, the, the, tell me if I'm wrong, Candice, but like it, the best, I, I mean, I just think we had someone on uh, comedian Guz Khan who said to me, I was before my kid was born. He said, uh, if your kid's happy, uh, at the end of every day, then you're probably doing the right things. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's bang on, right? Yeah. It's really, it's really basic. It's really basic. I didn't. I didn't understand that concept because I was coming from like a really harsh council estate in South London. And so my idea around good parenting was always physical and financial provision. Like I cannot be a good parent unless I close that gap because I know I I quite physically know what it's like to go to bed hungry or your last five has got to go on the electric meter and not food. So I was really hardwired with my first, especially being like work, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. You know, you're going to have the best of everything because if I'm not providing, I'm not a good parent. And I don't know what happened. No, I know what happened with my son. Um, I got more purposeful about my career choices and I, um, I started to believe that, uh, abundance was easy and Mm. abundance across the board. 
I stopped like thinking, oh, you, ha- I have to go a hundred miles an hour in every column of my life to attract the stuff I need to do good by my kids. So by the time my son was born, I was like, oh, I'm not even going to stress about that stuff. And this past week has reminded me, it's like, okay, you could be buying them whatever. They could go to the best school. Are they in good health? And do they feel like you're there? My kids don't care about any any Sunday Times bestseller. <laughs> they don't even watch me on TV. They don't care. They're yeah. just like, I'll see your dusty face when you come home. Like, <laughs> yeah. Are you going to put me to bed? Yeah. Like, yeah. mum, have you checked the app for my homework? It's a very, very, especially for someone that works in like this space where the people viewing you get very confused about what success actually is. Oh God. Really fucking humbling to have kids, bro. Yeah. Because it's like, they just take it right back to basics. Mm. They're like, Oh, that award is cute, but I feel like you haven't really been paying me any attention this week. Yeah. And that's insane. That's powerful. And and necessary, very necessary in in my opinion, because I'm like 33 and I've gone like the backwards way of crafting a career, which is using social media. And if I didn't have kids, I would have perhaps sullied my own career by now because it gets so misty out there. Mm. You can get into internet beef. You can get caught up with trolls. You can chat shit. You can be cancelled multiple times. But when I leave my house, my thing is like, I've got to come back in one piece because I've got these other two kids depending on me. And I see so many people my age who sometimes don't have those roots, who go a bit haywire Mm. or chase the wrong thing. And I'm so grateful to have just these two people that keep me grounded, so to speak. Well, and I think it's interesting to to just segue into Dane's question, which I I know is is very linked to to what I've asked. So, uh, because it's going to amalgamate into one big question, hey, Dane? Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Uh, just following on from what Howard said, my question is, given the uh, previous topics we have discussed, and obviously, you know, just the natural, some of the natural and the metaphysical kind of, uh, I suppose, hurdles that motherhood is fraught with. I'm just trying to find out, like, I don't know if, there, if it's, there's a particular trimester it happens or after a particular scan, but as a mother and somebody with a womb, mm. um, how, how do you feel or how do you think as extensionally when you're thinking about breathing? You look at the world and then think about the fact that you're bringing somebody into it. That, that's the question I want to ask because it's kind of like, you know, given the idea that we're discussing before and it's like, you know, you're a mother of two black kids. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just you know, and so let it not be said. Just 
maintaining the survival instinct to continue to bring healthy black children into the world is mm. a uh, task which, if you don't know, myself and everyone like myself are immensely grateful for. Mm. Because, Great you know, question. arguably, it's, it's a level of sorrow where someone could argue you could give up. Because I know for a fact, like, I know stories. My mother told me about her grandmother telling her stories about, you know, the, just two generations prior of women deliberately having to give themselves abortions so their children wouldn't be born into bondage. Mm. Right? Mm. So... I'm saying, uh, so I want to know is like, you know, when you look at the state of the world now and you're juxtaposing that with maternal instinct or with the feeling of life growing inside you, as I would never experience it, just uh, want to give you the platform just to get it off and just maybe let's uh, give, an ins- give the world an insight to how that feels. That is, oh my God, you've, it's not even that you stumped me, that, that creates a deep emotional tug. Um, and, and I just, yeah, exactly. And I just don't think people think about that. I think, I just, I don't think people consider it. I've, you know, when people think about ideas of birth control, when we have discussions about being pro-life and pro-choice, it's like, you know, I just want to hear from people where it's like, how can you still maintain the enthusiasm about giving life when the world suggests that we are born to die? And do you know what? And that's from the very beginning, because in my first book, I'm Not Your Baby Mother, there's some data. When I wrote the book, black women in the UK were five times more likely to die in childbirth, right? Mm -hmm. It's now come down to four as of this year. The numbers around newborn babies are still that black babies have 121% increased risk of dying in their first 30 days in comparison to their white baby counterparts. So out the fucking gate, Mm. For some reason, and I'm doing air quotes, for some reason, it's like off with your head. So Mm. for you, even as a black woman in this country, to say that you want to move forward with the process of giving birth, that in itself is a risk. When Mm. I had my first kid, I felt gravely ill. I had five midwives tell me that it was all in my head. I literally collapsed. And I've got sepsis. My body's gone 70% septic. I'm I'm in hospital for five weeks. So when you were speaking about being like um, away from your mum and you said, you know, you were having discussions about whether it affected you, it did. Yeah, permanently. I know, I know it did. I know it did. Yeah, permanently. Yeah. My therapist said that when newborn babies are born with like these connective synapses in their brain where they instinctively use scent to search for their mum. And when after, say, four hours of not being able to smell their mum, those synapses break and they never gel back together again. Mm. So that that's like a scientific thing, right? So you're going to have the baby, your baby could die, you could die. Then you've got to raise this baby in a space where from nursery even, the mm. world is telling your child they're not valued. If you happen to make it through that, the education system is going to try and crush them. If you happen to make it through that, you have to avoid the pull of like um, gang life, which is really, really nuanced because it ain't just black boys and girls standing on roadside wanting to shank people. There is a socioeconomic ladder. There are reasons and control systems why black parents can't look over their kids as much as a lot of white parents because of zero hour contracts and not being in the house. And then... The the, the entire erosion of social services following austerity. There we go. Do you know what I mean? And then... Uh, even sentencing black men heavier for the same crimes as white men. So they're kept away from their fa- Like, bruh, this runs so deep. So to even as a mum, like, get my kids to adulthood, um, I think even then I'll, I'll, I'll exhale a little bit, but it's like, it's still me thinking about my son 
perhaps being well-to-do and being stopped by the feds and not knowing how that situation plays out. It's literally the the luck of the draw. And I don't talk about my motherhood situation or my children often because I understand how much I'm in a place of privilege. Like I was able to move out of the very gentrified Brixton mm-hmm. and bring my kids to like Buckinghamshire, where like... My, my son is the only white boy in his village and the only white boy at his childminders. Do you know what I mean? And so that is going to skew the way they're raised and uh, the way they think about the world. So I'm like, I don't even like to really talk about that because uh, for 90% of the women that choose to become mothers that look like me, leaving leaving ends or leaving a situation like that is not even an option because mm. that in itself takes needs. No one wants to be on the 17th floor of an estate riddled with crime and a pissy elevator. No one wants that for themselves. But even, even transitioning out of that takes means that austerity and racism and social injustice and white supremacy means that it's going to be harder to get out of. Candice, can I ask you one question, which is, is, is where do you place this kind of sense of, because we often talk about individualism, uh, which, which kind of has become such a, a big word at the moment because we just are so aware that community is, has, has just declined. The sense of community, people are so insular, even in... Well, you say it's just like a, a village to raise a child was the same. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no one wants to pay tax towards child services, but everyone's like, here's what you should do with your children. Yeah. And it's like, well, well, the, which, one, which the, one is it? The, the, the sense that, you know, erosion of community, I don't know, do you feel like you would be, <laughs> I mean, you said you've moved out of London, gone to Buckinghamshire, right? Mm. Like, do you feel more community for your kids now or do you, are not much difference or? Um, I do. And I don't, I've got really personal feelings around community though because I'm not that well connected with family on both my mother or my father's side and my husband's family lives in Nigeria so we've had to work really hard at building a community Mm -hmm. the past week has shown me how well we've done that though because friends came from far to just make sure I was getting time off so it can be done but yeah that's part of the problem I remember back in the day right if I was doing something mad on road before I even got I was raised by my granddad before I even got home, Granddad knew I was doing badly some road, you know, <laughs> because one elder auntie, as we called them, up the road would have picked up the phone and been like, George, you know, I see Candice doing da 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 I know you don't allow her to do those things. Now we have an attitude of see, uh, see and don't see, as I, we call it in our community. Mm. You see the madness, you see the badness, but you just twitch your curtain back and you keep on going. Mm. And so watching that community fall apart, um, it is to our detriment. And I don't just mean that from like, a black community angle. I mean that from a world humanity angle. The see and don't see is affecting all of us. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. It's us not wanting to step in for younger people. Yes, honey, you can hold that. I'm just on a call, okay? It's us (laughs) not wanting to step in for other people because, oh, that's not our child. That's not my problem. That's how a lot of these things are, are crumbling. Yeah, and when I, you know, Dane, we always often end up talking about the Jews. I bring, I'll bring them up now and again, don't I? But you know, they, we do, <laughs> we, we, they, they, some of those communities, blimey, they, you know, they, they, they are tight, tight knit, and the way they bring yeah. up their kids, whether you agree with the way they're bringing them up, different thing, but the sense of, of responsibility towards each other is almost 
disturbing in a way if you've ever kind of seen it up close like there there is such a kind of mentality of community there that it, i don't know it seems like something that I mean, we, to the point that it looks foreign to people on the outside which yeah. is strange but that used, to, that used to be fine i mean i mean all of these things can exist within the spectrum there is a threshold whereby having an insular community that uh, is trying to propagate uh, cultural values can be good when it comes to the point where it becomes cabalistic and some of the ideas might be regressive and then they're excused on the basis of culture, then it's a problem. And, you know, it, you could argue that culture is always a problem and solution with these things a lot of the time anyway, because it's rooted in root, routine human conduct and whether or not it needs to change. Um, but yeah, no, I just, I just, um, like I said, I, I can't imagine it in it because in this, it, like I said, it's, it's like, it is a real risk to put yourself at risk for somebody else. It's, it's the decision to, Make the decision, especially raising if you want to raise your children as well as possible with the most thoughts and opportunities and advantages in life. Mm. It's about you know giving your, yourself over to a much higher power, um, and in in many in, in many ways which can be very thankless. But yeah, I, I, I just definitely just wanted to find out what it's like when it's kind of like when <laughs> you know I guess you have to anticipate at some point your kids gonna turn and be like, "Leave me alone, mom! It's my life." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. basically basically but you have to you know my my dad was very uh in my life I was raised primarily by him and my granddad and um and so that's not to say that my life was faultless or I didn't quote unquote under the moral guise go off track or not get in trouble but you my granddad and my dad must have both believed that I would find my own way and it's that, and it? it's trusting. You have to trust that your kid is going to find their own way. You're going to have to trust that at the times when you thought they had their head in their iPad and they weren't listening, they were actually deep in what you were saying. And that's all you can yeah. do. And I'm off the school of thought. Like, I tell my kids all the time, um, if you do something wrong on the road, like, I'm always going to be there for you. And I'm not going to list the crimes, but I'm like, you could do the worst thing. I'm still your mum. So my thing is support in public, correction in private. If I have to like, if you're in the dock and I've got to go to a trial, I'm not saying that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to support the wrong thing that you've done, but I'm going to be there for you because from the cradle to the grave, you're still my kid, you know? Yeah. And so you just, we have these well, You're taking at least a, a personal responsibility. It's a, it's, it's a sense of personal responsibility. Exactly. You know? and, and exactly. I, I think normally when, when people have the disposition that they would be there to support their child either way, it's most likely that their kids don't end up that way in the first place. Mm. So, no, I, I, I definitely get it. And, and I think it's uh, something that should be repeated on holographic principle that you're like, you know, I've created something and I've been responsible for it. And so I'm going to be there. I think, I think um, yeah, I, li I like that approach. And... Um, like I said, I, I don't have any kids, but I spoke to another friend of mine. Who, when I when I contemplate the idea of having kids, because it's it's realizing you are a guardian and this is not your property. And I, I feel and I feel like, yeah, like as as how said about individualism and, and the commodification of humanity mm. is where the problem begins. You know it's what, like though? it's my kid, and I did this, and so I. Yes. And it's like, yeah. and do you know what I notice? And I don't want to like take the chat off of course. We struggle with that deeply in the black community. Massively. We yeah, struggle we with that. It's one of the reasons why I am um, I'm very disconnected from my own family 
because there was always a sense of um, there's always a sense of entitlement or ownership and this isn't just in the spaces I'm from I witness it in all my black friend circles or it's like one kid does well and you're expected to build a yard back home for someone your life you're you're never an entity of your own you Mm -hmm. belong in this culture and in this system and so even to think back to you guys talking about you know community I did want to say that I think there is a complete deflowering of community in the black spaces because you see these Gen Z kids, yeah? They're not fucking about with telling you that they don't rate your parenting practices. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. you've got too much generational trauma to their yeah. doorstep. And, and, and they're saying it's no, it's not smacking, it's abuse. And, right. if, you, and, and if you were smacked and you're and you saying you're fine, but you're still out here resorting to violence because you can't handle this course, then right. it, it didn't work. Yeah, exactly. I, I also admire that, that they are articulating and having overt conversations about what they perceive to be trauma, even stuff like addressing issues, like you said, because we come from a community whereby we've never really had the privilege of being able to rely on, you know, judicial or legal systems in order to protect mm. us externally. But then, you know, I, I believe it goes so far as back as that with the abusing, for example, is that, um, you know, the, is this is going to hurt me a lot more than it hurts you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, the, you know, the phrase originates though, but the, the, the phrase originates from when, when mothers would see their slave children being beaten so badly they were about to die, they would take the whip from the slave driver and be like, I'll take care of this fucking idiot for you and do it. So they'd, like, they'd beat their child to a pulp because they knew it. if I leave it in the hands of this person, they'll kill my child. Yeah. So that's why they would say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you because they have to whip the child. It's like, i got to do this because if I don't beat you within an inch of your life, he'll take the whole mile. Yeah. But yeah. but that being said, that's still a historic trauma that needs to be mm. acknowledged and addressed. Mm. And I really commend Generation Z who are preparing mm. themselves and their respective wombs to make sure they're allowing that trauma to continue. But yeah. I think having that self-love and that self-worth will mm. then, I believe, cyclically allow us to have a foundation whereby we are a lot more physically and actively in opposition to the issues of state-sponsored genocide. Yeah. Because once we have that love, self-love and value for ourselves, we're not going to let someone from outside come and trouble our fucking children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, for me to summarise, just want to say, <laughs> there is uh, no way I can pay you back, but the plan is to show that I understand. You are appreciated. Mm. Oh. I'll finish on that one. Well, it's been, it's been a great episode. And uh, I've got to say, just because our listeners, you know... They obviously tune in, Candice, to uh, the mm. very amazing mixture of guests, which is now including you in our credible <laughs> alumni. But I think it's worth pointing out that we also have a load of listeners who love to hear from the man, uh, Dane Baptiste himself, mm-hmm. and will have been waiting to hear what he had to say about the verdict of the George Floyd trial. So uh, I think on behalf of those listeners, thank you for bringing it up and giving Dane the chance to do what he does better, yeah, than, better, than, much. Yeah. better than anyone. And... Um, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I mean, yeah, what a joy. M- M- Mama definitely knows. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> please tell our listeners where they can find out some about more of your good works and narrative, please. Um, I would say just follow me on Instagram. I don't mess with the Twitter. I don't mess with the clubhouse. I'm getting too old for them spaces. They can be very toxic. So Me can- too. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Way too old for that. You know what it feels like? It feels like being a substitute teacher in a classroom. I'm like... <laughs> 
Right, guys, what do we... <laughs> Why not such a loud teacher? <laughs> I'll leave this room quietly. I'll leave this room quietly. I don't want that smoke. No, no, I'll have the smoke from the bike sheds, thank you very much, outside the staff room. I'll have the staff room smoke, thank you very much, kids. That's okay. Um, Candy's Brathwaite on Instagram. A uh, new book, Sister, Sister, Notes on Things I've Learned the Hard Way, comes out July 8th. And that's me in a nutshell. We will be sharing that on our socials and uh you know hopefully maybe see you in the real world for a live I a know. live show at some point candice that'd be fun. yeah that would be amazing god so the comments are gonna come all positive energies and love and light and uh please let the family know we've been we've all been there man calaman lotion man no because i know hubby's going through right now and he's like why why me i'm a good man okay so what time you've seen that moisturize and exfoliate what is this man? <laughs> <laughs> he's got the shock of his life he's yeah. never been this sick he's yeah, never been this sick but it's, it's, he'll be fine he'll be fine thank yeah, you guys love and light and the uh, apple cider vinegar in that you get me yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it's, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and helping us to question everything it's been an absolute pleasure thank you you've been listening to Dane Baptiste questions everything hosted by Dane Baptiste for more from Dane go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBapTweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTeast. Our guest was Candice Braithwaite. You can follow Candice on Instagram at Candice Braithwaite. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at WeAreAudioCulture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly and the Acast team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.